This edition of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by Bird Campbell, your Duke-centric law firm with offices in Florida and Texas. If you are looking for legal needs in those states, please reach out to them. Bird Campbell means business. Hey there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode number, I have no idea. Um, 124. 124. Wow. Episode number 124 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I am your host this week. I am Jason Evans. And even though we are called the Duke Basketball Report podcast, this week, going to be all about some football. But before we get to the football, I want to bring in my partners in crime. First of all, the guy who knew how many podcasts we had done, Sam Klein, talking to us from Durham, North Carolina. Yes, sir. I uh, just returned from a weekend in Myrtle Beach with a number of my classmates. It was a wholesome good time, uh, but I did get to go to the game on Friday, so I'll have the, the firsthand report for you there. Uh, yes, we'll be going to you in just a moment for a report on that game. But first, in Washington, D.C., my good friend and our other podcast host, Donald Wine. Hey, guys, how's it going? I was in L.A. for the first part of this weekend. Uh, and while I was not at the game with Sam, I was able to see Sam on television because I got to watch it during a tailgate, which is awesome. Oh, was he on TV? I didn't see him. Sam, I didn't I see TV? me either. It, it, was, it, was a, it was a brief <laughs> glimpse of Sam in, in the midst of a bunch of people uh, it could have been another person that looks like Sam. Sam, you might have a doppelganger, but I thought it was you, and I'm going to go with that. I was the guy uh, in in the blue polo shirt. Okay, so you've narrowed it down to about what twelve thousand <laughs> people who were there. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I said, we're going to get started with football um, because it is football season, and football season has begun with the Blue Devils starting out the absolute right way. They they easily defeated the Army Knights 34-14. to 14. Um, For folks who don't recall, last year Duke suffered a, um, a very disappointing loss to Army, 21-16, to 16, but that was an Army team that would go on to win 10 games over the course of the season, one of the better Army teams in many, many years. And um, I think it's a pretty good sign that Duke was able to handle them as easily as they were this, this time around. Um, I will start with you, Sam. You were there in the stands. Talk to me about what you saw and um, make sure that you mention my boy, the guy who I've been touting for more than a year, Britton Brown. Yeah, so why don't we start with him? Um, Britton Brown looked great running the ball. We did have, he had a little bit of an injury scare, I guess. Uh, it was a knee issue that he had to come off for. Um, there was also concern uh, because Joe Giles Harris had to go into the locker room at one point, but it sounds like both of them are okay. So getting getting our, our favorite topic of health out of the way quickly. Uh, it seems like the Blue Devils left Friday night's game mostly unscathed and with no serious lasting concerns. But on offense, Duke looked great. Britton Brown ran the ball well. Daniel Jones was back on track to looking like the player we wanted him to be all of last year. The Duke offensive line was creating holes for everybody, so uh, at least everybody that they were protecting. Um, so that that was all great on the defensive side of the ball. So impressed with the Blue Devils' ability to uh, wreak havoc, cause turnovers. There were there were a number of of uh, turnovers that they forced to get the ball back throughout the game. I think that was my biggest takeaway from this was the 
was the ability to cause turnovers. Um, we knew going in just based well, on their, and by, on their, by the way, you're, from, oh, you're, yeah. you're, the, the turnovers were <laughs> such a huge key because if you look at the statistics, like it seems like it was a close game. Like Duke and Army basically had all the exact they had the exact same number of passing yards. They had almost the same number of rushing yards. Um, uh, you know, Army kept on converting fourth downs and stuff like that. The difference in the game was we kept on turning them over. We blocked kicks, and uh, and and they were just hopelessly behind because of that. Yeah, and and that that lesson echoed throughout college football all day on Saturday. If you watch that Auburn Washington game, the game was, you know, Auburn won the game and it was mostly decided by the fact that Washington like couldn't convert in the red zone and turn the ball over a couple of times. So we know that that's, that's the case everywhere, but you're right, Jason, it, it really showed on Friday for Duke. And, and I know that that's an emphasis just from hearing about uh, hearing coach Cutcliffe's comments that, that that's what the defense is trying to do this year. They want to cause more turnovers and they're going to, I think like last year, give up some bigger passing plays. You know, army is not supposed to be a big passing team. They barely passed the ball last year and they still made a few, a few long passing conversions in this game. But the fact that Duke was able to turn them over so effectively negated a lot of that advantage. The other thing that sort of caught me off guard and, and you guys can respond to this as well. I didn't realize that, um, the the new uh, kickoff rule about uh, about the, the kickoff oh, yeah. touchbacks the even catch. even when they're kicked the in catch. in yeah. play yeah um, so I was I was very upset uh, at, the, at the first time that Army got the ball that that was what was happening because I was like wait a minute why why do they get to catch the ball at the three yard line and move it up to the twenty five so that was confusing um, but overall uh, very very happy with the performance from Duke and I'm glad that we get to see them play some some power five programs coming up. I know we'll, we'll talk about those coming up in a bit, but, but glad to see that they looked good against an army team that we know from last year is at least, is at least pretty strong and, and knows their own game well, and that we get to see Duke going forward against some better opponents very soon. Well, speaking of knowing their own game well, I mean, army is a team that usually does not pass the ball. I mean, like they're a team that usually they pass the ball like two or three times a game. And they, I think it was 21 pass attempts they had in this game. That's a crazy number for Army. Um, and I think it's because our defense was forcing them to do things that they weren't comfortable doing. Donald, talk to me about what you saw in defense from the Devils. I was I was tremendously impressed with our D. Yeah, I thought our defense was terrific. And, and you know, there was only a couple of big plays, as you guys mentioned, uh, that we gave up. You know, one was for a touchdown. But I, I, I think that's going to happen in the course of a game. You, you give up one play, you move on. Uh, to the next one. But what was great about our defense is that, like you said, they forced them to throw the ball and get out of their comfort zone. Uh, And I think the reason why is because, you know, our defense was really hounding them uh, on the run. Uh, We caused a couple fumbles, you know, those turned into touchdowns and all of a sudden army had their backs to the wall and they, and they had to respond quickly. Uh, They can't do that when you run the ball. So they had to try and figure out a way to throw the ball. and, And I thought for the most part, we shut that down. Uh, one thing I also wanted to talk about was the time of possession because we had, uh, even with our defense, I thought our offense was very efficient and very quick. Uh, you know, I think the longest stretch we had with the ball was three minutes and 37 seconds on a drive. And that was an 80 yard uh, drive of nine plays that led to a touchdown. So I think that sort of thing is, is really interesting 
because you want you talk about the time of possession uh, battle and who has the ball more, and that usually trends to who wins the game. But for this point, you know, Army is a team that's going to have the ball a lot because they're going to run the ball uh, multiple, you know, uh, most of the time. And I think what our defense did, even while having a lot of plays, 11 plays, 10 plays, 14 play drives by Army, they were able to make things happen, make big plays when it counted. And that's why we're one and on the season. You know, um, Sam, I want to come back to you for a second. And I want to talk about the passing game. We talked about how great Duke was running the ball and, uh, you know, Britton Bound and, and how effective they were at that, how good they were on on defense. But I really want to hone in on passing for a moment because I thought, uh, you know, I thought Daniel Jones had one of his best games in a Duke uniform, 13 for 17 from, uh, you know, passing um, only four incompletions, super efficient. And by the way, a couple of those were drops. A couple of those were, were passes that they should have been caught that got dropped. I mean, he was dead on target. And Aaron Young, where did Aaron Young come from? <laughs> he had 16 receptions all of last year. He gets four receptions for 114 yards in this game. He just suddenly burst on the scene and, and was a favored target of Daniel Jones. But again, Sam, talk to me a little bit more about what you saw from Daniel Jones, the now now a junior and and looking every bit in command of the game. The key, I think, for Duke last year, as far as starting really strong and then having that six-game losing streak in the middle of the season and then recovering was really the story of how well Daniel Jones is playing. The defense was pretty strong all of last year. The, the running back play, as we've talked about, was, was pretty good, not great. Um, the tandem of Sean Wilson and Britton Brown uh, – some sometimes we're carrying their load and sometimes not, but but the key for them was was Daniel Jones and how well he manages the game and, and passes. And like you said, Jason, he was he was efficient. Um, Duke wasted very few snaps the other night against Army, and and he was a big part of it. I was I was impressed to see that he wasn't trying to force too many things. There there were some big some big passing plays, but for the most part, it was quick reads, knowing where he's going. You know, a, a lot of that. Uh, of that Eli Manning or Peyton Manning style of quarterbacking where he knows what he wants to do and he's going to figure out how to do it. And, and that, you know, we assume that that's the, the coach Cutcliffe influence is, is Daniel Jones managing the game well and looking really poised. Hopefully that sort of thing continues. I think that you've pointed out that Duke has a strong running game. The offense is, is pretty balanced. So it's not like Daniel Jones has to throw the ball 30 times in the game um, for, for Duke to be successful, even against good teams. So it's nice to see him being efficient. It's nice to see him uh, spreading the ball around. And, uh, and I hope that there are more games like that going forward. And, and looking back at last year, because one, <laughs> one of the boring things I think about this program is that we play the same teams every year. I think that there's one different right, opponent right. From, from last year. <laughs> right, but right. It is, nice, it is nice year to year to, to be able to look at Duke's previous performance. And, and Jones had a much better showing this year than he did last year against Army in that loss in West Point. So, um, so happy about that. Happy to see him improve there. And, and already I was, I was getting hyped with, uh, with a lot of my, my new uh, Duke friends, my, the people I'm slowly converting into Duke football fans about our trip next year to Atlanta uh, to see the Blue Devils take on Alabama. Oh, that that's gonna be fun. I'm I'm really glad you mentioned Daniel Jones's decision making. A friend of mine sent me an email um, after the game 
game, and he said the most impressive thing about this game was not the passes that Daniel Jones made, but the ones that he didn't make. The decision-making he had to recognize this is a play where I need to not make the difficult play. I need to make the safe play. I need to tuck it and run with it, and he runs so effectively as a quarterback. Um, or, 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 or just you know throw it away or, or take an easier pass. Um, he is really, really maturing, and, and as you mentioned, Sam, maturing – um, by being under the tutelage of one of the great quarterback coaches uh, ever um, in David Cutcliffe. Uh, I, really quick, I want to mention something. And then Donald, I'm going to go to you for the final, final note. But to me, the most impressive thing was the running game. And while we, you know, we 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 talked obviously about Britton Brown, Deion Jackson looked very good. Uh, Coach Cutcliffe mentioned Marvin Hubbard, who was who's a, a freshman that he was impressed with. Um, so the running backs get all the credit. But I want to mention um, the the Duke offensive line. Do you guys know we had three new starters on the offensive line and only one guy, the left guard, Julian Santos. He's the only guy in the same position he was last year. This is a completely remade offensive line. And a year ago against Army, Duke averaged 2.7 yards per carry. 2.7. This year, we averaged almost five and a half yards per attempt against Army. And if you're ripping off five plus yards per attempt, you're going to be tremendously effective as a team because if they can't stop the running game, it sets up everything else. And so a tip of the hat to that offensive line that is brand new this year and really did a great job. Donald, like I said, my promise was you get the last word on this game. Well, I, I think the one thing that you take away from this and is that there's something to take away from this is week one and usually uh, week one, you're you're not necessarily playing a team like Army, uh, a team that's you know came coming off a 10-1 season, a team that's actually very very good, and not necessarily a power five team, but a team that you can take something from and see how you uh, how your team performed and how you can kind of trend that for the rest of the season. We're not playing a team like you know NC Central, who you know we normally open the season with, and you know beating. Uh, uh, what we would call a cupcake team uh, like 55 to three or something like that and not necessarily being able to extrapolate that performance and and put it towards uh, future performances the rest of the season this is one that's very important because one it is a, a d1a opponent um, that's a very tough opponent and now teams can look and say hey this defense might actually be doing something how can we compete against that and not necessarily throw away that game tape because they're playing a, an opponent that someone may consider inferior. So uh, hats off to, to the Duke Blue Devils, Duke gang, uh, going one to know, and really that will set us up for the next game, which I think Sam is going to preview for us, Northwestern. So we want to take a quick moment to um, highlight our sponsor, Bird Campbell. And uh, as the guys often do, uh, Tucker Bird has sent me a couple couple sentences I want to read to everybody about Duke football because these guys are diehard Blue Devil fans. Tucker Bird writes, let me pay the highest compliment to Duke football in this era when perpetual sourpusses such as Urban Meyer and Nick Saban preside with all their ill humor, barks and scowls. Watching Coach David Cutcliffe and the boys play is a hell of a lot more fun to watch. It's like a parent watching their child competing in anything. You appreciate not so much what they did, win or lose, as how they did it. And I completely agree with Tucker Bird's words there. And once again, we here on the DBR podcast remind you, if you are in Florida or Texas and you need legal advice, 
the guys from Bird Campbell are a great place to go. Two diehard dookies who uh, can help you out with all your legal needs and who are so kind and gracious as to be the sponsors of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Once again, gentlemen, thank you so much for helping us out. And now, guys, it's time to look ahead. Donald teased you just a moment ago, and uh, he let you know that we are going to be previewing the Northwestern Wildcats, um, who got their season off on a winning note the same way Duke did. Northwestern's win probably was a little more impressive. They beat Purdue. It's a, it's a conference victory. Anytime you get a conference victory, that's a big deal. And anytime you beat a Big Ten team, you know, that's impressive. So uh, Northwestern won 31-27 against Purdue. It was a game where Northwestern really jumped out big early, um, and they, they led it 31-17 at halftime, and then they sort of hung on in the second half. Um, and, and uh, you know, Sam, I'll, I'll, I'll let you do the whole preview thing, but, um, boy, what a, what a weird thing they have going on at quarterback right now. Can you talk about that at all? Sure. Um, so Northwestern's quarterback the last few years, we've talked about him uh, a few years in a row on this show is Clayton Thorson, who has been pretty effective for uh, the Wildcats throwing the ball and managing the game. He injured his knee at the end of last year and had off-season surgery. So they're still rotating him um, with their backup. And so we're going to see some of Thorson and some of the backup quarterback. Primarily, we're going to see him, it sounds like, from the Purdue game the other night, that he played well enough, but that um, – but they're still not ready for him to be the quarterback for 60 minutes. So, uh, Jason, I'm glad you teed it up for me here because I think the the key for the Duke defense is to try to put pressure on him and to acknowledge that that he is both running the show and not quite at full game capacity um, since his injury uh, last winter. So, so Duke wants to wants to pressure Thorson. I think that they did a pretty good job of that against army as far as applying pressure especially in the secondary and um so that's going to be that's going to be big for duke we know from previous years that northwestern has really liked to run the ball uh their their old running back who was a star for them justin jackson not that justin jackson a different justin jackson has now moved on to the nfl and um, northwestern's breaking in a, a new starting running back who's just a sophomore so assume that Quarterbacks are still going to be carrying more of the load for them uh, offensively. So, um, yeah, that that I think is the key. Uh, last year, the Duke's game against Northwestern was perhaps their most impressive of the season. They they won forty one to seventeen, and Northwestern ended up having one of their best seasons uh, in a long time. They went ten and three on the year. Their only losses after Duke were to Penn State and Wisconsin, both of whom, as you guys will probably remember, were nationally competitive programs last year they were both sort of vying for the for spots in the college football playoff late in the season those are the only other teams that that managed to beat the wildcats um the rest of the year they finished the season with a nice bowl victory against kentucky so um northwestern they've, riding they've won, like the longest, they've won like nine or ten they've won like nine or ten in a row right yeah I think it's the longest winning streak in Division One, and I, I want someone to correct me on that if that's not the case. But I'm pretty sure they've got the longest winning streak, maybe perhaps in the Power Five or, or in Division One, um, coming into this game. Obviously, you know, after they played Penn State and Wisconsin last year, there wasn't much uh, else on their schedule that was that was top twenty-five scary. But hey, they keep winning games, and if and all you can do is beat the teams in front of you. They still played a Power Five program in their bowl game. Um, they still had to get through the rest of the Big Ten West last year. So 
uh, a, a really, really nice beginning of the season for Pat Fitzgerald's squad um, and, and end of last year. So I'm hoping that uh, the Duke gets to ride that momentum from the Army game into Evanston. And I think the, the most important thing here is that whether or not we have Duke fans up in the Midwest who are traveling to Evanston for the game, um, Duke has been really great on the road. One of the best road teams in Division One the last few years. So while it's tough for the Blue Devils to have to travel a lot early in the season, going to Evanston and then out to Waco against Baylor the following week, we know from previous years that the Blue Devils are fine going on the road. They still perform well. And I'm excited to see how they do against their first Power 5 opponent of the season. So um, I'll tell you, I'll correct you right away. Uh, the Northwestern may have the longest power five winning streak. I'm not sure about that. They ain't got the longest winning streak because that belongs to central Florida who was oh, true. 13 true, true, true. and 0 last year, 13 and 0 and, and won their first game this year. So you mean the, you mean the, you mean the national reigning national champions, champions, right? National champions. Yes. Yes. <laughs> national champion. Hey, Alabama fans, central Florida national champions. You know what? Let's not, let's not do anything. We we have to play Alabama in one year, so I don't even want to. It's not necessary. It's not necessary. Oh, God. Did you see what they did to Louisville? Oh man, this is. We should ask. Out, we should ask Nick Saban about his quarterbacks. That'll that'll really that'll he really loves, put him. He loves he talking loves about his quarterbacks. Although I saw today that he officially announced that Tua Tagovailoa is now the starter. <laughs> I mean, it was obvious in that game. There's no question which is the better quarterback. So I, I'm I'm clear that Nick Saban didn't announce anything in the preseason because he didn't want Jalen Hurts to transfer before, you know, the, the season started. He Absolutely. wanted to have him around this year. Um, anyway, all right, we've gotten distracted. <laughs> <laughs> Alabama has distracted us from the, the task at hand, which is Northwestern. Donald, give me your key to the game. What's the one thing we need to look for? Duke is a four-point underdog in this game, by the way. So what, what, what's Duke going to have to do to win against Northwestern? They're going to have to put on another great performance on defense against the run. Uh, I think that's where most of their uh, offense really generates from. Jeremy Larkin last week had 143 yards and 26 carries. That's a lot. That's a great start. And and they're going to really try and ride him uh, to try and establish their offense. If we can establish a great run defense and shut them down there, that'll force them to make quick and, and careless decisions with the football and then we can use our we can use our defense to create some turnovers but run defense if we can put in another great performance that's going to be the key to this game so i'll chime in and i'll say um i i think a huge huge key to this game is going to be turnovers um we saw it against army um that uh, you know duke taking care of the ball and taking the ball away from army was the story of the game to, to a large extent Northwestern's victory over Purdue was the same thing. Northwestern won the turnover battle three to zero, three, nothing. They had three interceptions and Northwestern did not turn the ball over at all. Um, and as a result, it's one of those games where if you look at the statistics, Purdue had more total yards, more passing yards, more rushing yards. They were better on third down. Like every metric you can think of Purdue was better than Northwestern except for turnovers. And they got crushed 3 nothing in the turnover battle. And as a result, Purdue lost that game. So I think turnovers are going to be huge for this game for, for Duke. And, and I think having Daniel Jones, uh, who is so experienced, who is a junior, who was so efficient this past week and made such smart decisions, um, I, I think bodes well for, for the Blue Devils in, in this coming game. Um, I'd like us to pull the upset. And I hope we do because my niece goes to Northwestern. And... Uh, I, I just, I can't, 
I can't take losing to them and having her taunt me for like all year. It's just, please, please, Duke, win, win this one for me. Guys, we are ready for parting shots here on the Duke Basketball Report podcast. So far, we've been all about football. Donald, you are up first. Give me your parting shot. Well, now I'm going to go into the arena of tennis, and I'm going to talk about something that happened a couple of weeks ago uh, that has is still kind of making news, and it is from the French Open. Uh, I was lucky enough to attend the French Open this this year uh, and was not able to see the queen of sport, uh, Serena Williams, play because she had just pulled out with an injury. Now, the French Open... Uh, during the French Open, she wore a what they called a, a, a cat suit, a black cat suit um, as her uniform uh, because she was it was designed by Nike to help her uh, battle the blood class that she had been struggling with uh, since the birth of her child. Uh, and now the French Open has banned the cat suit because it has, quote, gone too far. Um, well, French Open, uh, I think that's dumb. Uh, let's just say it. Let's just start off with that. Uh, but I wanted to say that. I love how Serena has handled everything so far because really everyone in the entire grit eating world is mad at this except for her. And it's because this is beneath her. She is the queen of sport, as I mentioned. And and I like the fact that she uh, has really come back at this with such grace. And, and really when they asked her about it, about why she wasn't mad, she goes, Hey guys, I'm in the fashion industry as well, and you don't wear the same thing twice. Uh, we'll just come up with something better next year. So, uh, hats off to Serena. She's she's kicking ass in the uh, in the U.S. Open right now. Uh, but when the French Open comes next year, I dare her to wear something, and, and the French Open be mad about it because I guarantee you the French Open will not be the ones on the receiving end of that. I like it. I like it. Sam, your turn for a parting shot. Coming back to Duke football, I mentioned I was at the game on Friday night, uh, and it's the first uh, first game that I've been back for sort of as a student. I've been back for a few home games since I graduated in 2011, but I just wanted to give a shout out to all the Duke fans who have, I think, really stepped up the general tailgating atmosphere around Wallace Wade Stadium. It seems like there are more fans getting there early, and Friday night was tough because they have the quick turnaround from the normal operations of the school day into the football game. So there were only like two hours when, when the tailgate was really going on. Uh, but I wandered around a fair bit, met up with some friends, went to the graduate student tailgate for uh, briefly. And then also um, thanks to some friends of mine who are, uh, who are veterans who were in the MBA program with me, got to go to the uh, veterans tailgate, uh, which was really special because we were playing army. I have a number of friends uh, in, in the program with me at Fuqua who are uh, who, who actually come out of the army or went to West Point or both, of course. And uh, so they were they were thrown down on a, on a fun tailgate. And as you can imagine, when you get a lot of uh, former military folks together, um, they they do not slow down at, at their tailgate. So that was a good time. Um, it's always fun playing the service academies. I'm glad that Duke does it most years because we get all the pageantry and 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 their fans always show up for the games and have a good time and are and are extremely cool being there and, and hanging out with us. So um, a, a shout out generally to the atmosphere at the football games, but specifically thanks um, to, uh, to all the vets and, and other service members who were, who were at, in attendance and, uh, and having a good time on Friday. So uh, as I said, we have been all football so far. I will not allow us to go all the way to the end of the podcast without having a little bit of basketball. There's not been a lot of news since we got back from 
Canada, but there was a little thing that I do want to talk with you guys about. For my parting shot, I want to talk about the net. The NET, the NCAA evaluation tool, will be something that everyone will be talking about come March of next year because it is in and the RPI, rest in peace, RIP, RPI, the RPI is dead. And the NCAA will now be using something new called the NCAA evaluation tool to figure out who the best teams in the country are and to figure out how to seed them and rank them and all the other kind of stuff for the NCAA tournament. So um, we got to unpack this for a minute. Uh, first of all, I'm thrilled <laughs> that the RPI is dead. The RPI had value. It had, you know, its use back in the day, back in the 1980s when it was first introduced, because the back then the RPI was a good way of figuring out um, who had played a tough schedule, whether you had done well against a difficult schedule or whether you just packed up wins against really, really bad teams. But over the course of years, teams figured out how to how to game the RPI. They figured out the, the flaws in it. And to be honest, as we have developed more and more metrics on this game, um, more and more ways of looking at efficiency on offense and defense and things like that, where we've developed the idea that where a game is played matters. Is it on, at home or is it on the road? Um, scoring ma margin and things like that. These things matter and these things were not part of the RPI. So I'm thrilled that the RPI is RIP. I, I need to know a little bit more about this net thing to, to really know whether it's going to be, you know, a, a, a great improvement or just a little bit of an improvement. The NCAA hasn't released a lot of the details on it, but um, they have said it will include strength of schedule. It will include game location, which is a really good thing, home road neutral. It will include scoring margin, but this is one of the criticisms I have with it. They say they're only going to include 10 points of scoring margin. So if you beat a team by 10 or beat them by 40, that's the same thing in the net. I, I, I hate that. I mean, there are plenty of 10-point games that are really close competitive games. It's pretty rare that a 20, 25, 30-point game is an actual competitive game. And I think knowing whether or not a game was competitive does matter a little bit. So I don't like the scoring margin part of it. But, you know... I, I'm pleased that the NCAA is looking at this. I'm pleased that that they've decided they're going to examine, um, uh, you know, their metrics for determining who's going to be in the tournament. And hopefully we'll learn more about the net and hopefully it will be a, uh, a better system than the RPI was. It won't take much for it to be better than the RPI. I'm sure it will be. Um, uh, so uh, I'm pleased that I was able to get in a little bit of basketball stuff into the podcast. Yeah, that, what, what, do you Jason, think? what do you think, guys? That, that is That is good news. And... As I think you put it well, that the RPI was was outdated just based on all the information we have now. So I'm sure that they're going to do better. It won't be perfect. We will still complain about it, but uh, hopefully Duke continues to be good enough in basketball that we aren't worried about not getting into the tournament because of the RPI. Just that we're going to you know fuss about about seed lines and and all that such, which we know in the end it doesn't matter nearly as much as just being in the tournament. And, and being there. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's a step in the right direction. I think uh, a lot of what you said, Jason, is is good, um, you know, with the strength of schedule and who you play and where you play, home away, neutral. I think the one thing that will never, ever be really full, you know, really incorporated fully into the metric system is is how you, you know, when you face a team and, and you know, what's happening with that team 
um, at that point. So for example, facing a, a team in November versus facing the same team in March, I, I would you know put more emphasis on the team uh, that has played together um, uh, over the course of a few months rather than the very first game and using that to kind of ride yourself into the NCAA tournament. But I, I think those sort of things will Donald, kind of play themselves out. Donald doesn't doesn't Ken Palm take that into account? Isn't there a isn't there a weighting in in Ken Pomeroy's metric for recency? Yes, yes, yes there, there is. is. Yeah, um, and, and the NCAA, but the, the NCAA did not. Have that. And the NCAA has said that the net will not have it either. That it will not. You know, if you beat a team in November or beat a team in March, it will not have any difference. There will be no weighting in their model for that kind of thing. And, and by the way, there there was a time. Um, not too many years ago where the NCAA used to have a, you know, how'd you do in your final 10 games of the year? Um, right. that, they're, they're completely, they, they abandoned that a few years ago. And with them tweaking the system now, they say they are still abandoning that. They're interested in how you performed over the entirety of the season, not just how you performed down the stretch. And by the way, I think that raises an interesting question. Is the NCAA tournament about having the 68 best teams today, right now, or the 68 best teams over the course of the season. And, you know, while the purist may say, no, I want the 68 best teams right now, I think there's something to be said for, you know what? Let's look at the entire body of work. Let's look at everything that you did. Let's not say, oh, forget about these games that happened in November and December. They happened. They counted. And, uh, you know, I, I don't have a huge problem with the net um, looking at the whole season as opposed to only looking at the end of it. I don't either. I think that's, I think you, you, you nailed it. I think in the end you want all the games to matter. And one of the things that the, the last 10, when they got rid of it, it was something where they said, we want to make it so all these games matter because that's what fans were wanting. They didn't want a game in November to not work, not matter um, when you're at the end. So I think that's good that they're looking at the entire resume, because if you lose to a, a terrible team in November, it should come back to haunt you in March. All right, gentlemen, thank you very much. That's going to do it for this edition of the DBR podcast, um, where we mostly talked about football the whole time, but that's great. Uh, we will be back next week to talk about the Duke game against Northwestern. I want to thank Donald Wine in Washington and Sam Klein in Durham for joining me on this edition of the podcast. Folks, if you're out there, if you're listening to us, whatever platform you're using to listen to us, please go rate us. Please go give us a thumbs up or whatever else it may be because it helps our search rankings and all the other kind of stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, if you have a complaint, if you have a question, any of that kind of stuff, write to us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. That's how you can reach out to us. Let us know what you're thinking. Let us know what you think of us. Um, For Sam and Donald, I am Jason. Thank you so much for listening in. That's going to do it for this week. Duke Band, it's your turn. Take us home.